Recovery Elevator, episode 209. But the biggest differentiator is instead of trying to push the cravings aside like they never existed, I acknowledge them. I acknowledge that the craving is here, but what I do is I push it forward. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Bill. He's 49 years old. He's from Northern New Jersey. And he's been sober since October 8th, 2018. In his interview, he says, well, a lot of good stuff. Just stick around. I'd like to welcome Carrie from California to the Recovery Elevator team. She will be doing show notes moving forward for a minimum of 26 episodes. This is a volunteer position. It's an important position. So when you look on your iTunes or your podcast media player, it's all the text. And you know, when I mention a resource, she'll put it there. So thank you so much, Carrie. And thank you, Mike Knoll, for doing it for the previous 26 episodes. Actually, I think he did about 35 couple things to mention before we get started. Guys, we still have a couple spots left for the Nashville event, Recovery Elevator Live in Nashville. It's February 22nd, 23rd, 24th, or you can just attend the event on the night of the 23rd of the seminar. Bozeman Retreat, the registration is going to open up March 1st. That information currently is on the website. It's $7.95 per person, and there's also a discount for Cafe Ari members. The Asia Adventure trip covering Thailand and Cambodia. Registration for this is going to open up on July 1st, 2019, and there will be info on the website no later than April 1st. These are some killer events, and I hope to see you guys there. And before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group, which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. Episode 209. Wow, I've been doing this for a minute now. And heads up, I'm writing a book, which is awesome. It's actually been a fun process so far. I'm hoping to launch this book no later than July 1st of this year. And I'll be asking for volunteers to be part of the launch team as that date gets closer. So be on the lookout. Look out, listen out, you get the point. Writing a book also takes time. So heads up, the next 15 to 20 episodes will, with my segment, might not be as in-depth as they normally are. Each 10 to 15 minute intro takes me about two to three hours to compile the information, to do the research, the writing, etc. And doing a book is the equivalent of about 209 podcast episodes in about 20 weeks. So I'm scaling back on my intro. Actually, we're going to see if that's even possible, but that's my plan. So just a heads up. Okay, let's roll. After doing something long enough, some trends start to appear. In episode 52, after one year of podcasting, I did a summary of what I learned during the first year. In this episode, I will be covering the four themes that people who have been successful in sobriety have fully embraced. Here we go. Hang on. Number one. Onboarding of heartbeats, bringing others in on this journey, aka community. You may think you're Superman or Superwoman, and I'm not denying that, but we cannot do this alone. This community can take many sizes, shapes, and form. It doesn't have to be just AA. There's smart recovery. There's refuge recovery. There is no shortage of communities out there. Hell, you can even start your own recovery community. It's never been easier to do just that. Several people have started their own recovery podcast that I've interviewed on this podcast. Meetup.com, great place to start your own sober community. It is imperative that you're part of a community or you start your own community. 
Also, don't forget, online community and in-person community, two totally different things. It's important that you have both. Next up, get ready for it, accountability. You've heard that almost every episode in the Recovery Elevator podcast. So anything can happen when you roll into a social event and no one knows you're sober or you'd like to not drink. Same thing at the office, same thing at home, same thing while driving in a car. Life does a damn good job at throwing a Randy Johnson curveball at us at any time. We might be doing great in recovery, insert life, and five minutes later, we might be hanging on by a thread. Anything can happen at any moment. And I think this is called something, uh, Mitchell's Law. Mm, that doesn't sound right. It's, it's, like, it's like that bed that gets pulled out of a wall. Let me Google this real quick. Uh, Murphy, Murphy's Law. Damn, I was close. Next one on the list, number three, is thinking. We have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, and they're not right. In fact, the majority of them aren't right. And here's the power of just one thought. One thought can turn into emotion, which then can turn into a mood, which then can turn into a state of being, into a mindset, into a personality, into who we are. What happens if that initial thought was wrong to start with? So begin to question these thoughts. Again, 70,000 thoughts per day, they're not all correct. Now, usually we begin to address our thinking after we get sober. This was the narrative for myself. However, it doesn't have to go in this order. You might find yourself on day zero. You can start addressing the thinking now because this is the first addiction, the addiction to thinking. Our thinking will tell us that we can't get there from here that we need to add external stimuli to boost our recovery forward. Not the case. Our thinking is the ego. Now, we are not going to just blast or dissolve the ego. That's not possible. We do need that thinking part of the brain. In order to be successful in recovery, we need to reprioritize where the ego is in our brain. Again, we need the ego to navigate this place called planet Earth. But unchecked, the ego is dangerous. It's this thinking that rips us away from the present moment. All depression and anxiety come from thinking. With depression, we are stuck in the past. With anxiety, we are stuck in the future. And the ego does a great job of keeping us in one or two of those states. Meditation is a great way to address thinking. It's one of many ways to address thinking. The focal point of meditation is to get a message past the analytical part of the brain, basically the conscious to the unconscious part of the brain. Guys, we might think we're calling the shots, running the show, but 95% of our actions, what we think, what we say, what we do, when we get to the age of 35, is all unconscious behavior. We need to get messages to the unconscious part of the brain, and we can do this through meditation. The final theme, and perhaps the biggest theme that I have noticed is trust. This is the tough one, yet the most beautiful one of all. Internally, it might feel like you're doing circles in recovery or that you've got a life-threatening illness, but just trust. Let your body do the bulk of the work. Your best tool with this whole trust thingy is the breath. It will ground you at any time in any event. Now, this can be meditation again, but it doesn't necessarily have to take place on the pillow. Make a point to take several slow conscious breaths each day. You're fine. It's okay. Relax. Trust that you've been put on the planet with every tool necessary to live a happy and healthy life. Hell, you can break bones inside your body which are stronger than most metals and your body has the capability to heal itself. It also has the capability to heal the mind, the thoughts, the brain. It's a thing called neuroplasticity. It's a beautiful thing. Now, with trust, you don't have to believe in God, Buddha, Jesus, or any deity of sorts. But you need to relax, calm the mind, and let the body do the work. You're on the right track. Trust me. I highly recommend listening to You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza. These are cool times for healing, and it's only going to get better. So those are the four themes. And the good news is, when I say embrace, it should be fun. These can all be fun. Accepting these four themes in your recovery does not mean life in the dentist chair. It can be fun. In fact, you'll know you're doing it's right when it's enjoyable and it's not a task. I know, I know, at first, it may not feel like fun, but within time it will change. 
Just stick with me. Okay, and before we hear from Bill, let's hear from Blinkist. I know we all have goals to hit, whether it's eating healthier or exercising more, and sometimes it can be hard to achieve all these while struggling with other aspects of life. There is an app I highly recommend for you to hit your goals a bit easier. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is made for busy people like me and you who want to get to the main points of books quickly without reading the entire book. With an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day while you're on the go. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. I like Blinkist because if there's a specific idea or concept in a book but I don't have time to read the whole thing, I can get the gist of the whole book in just 30 minutes. I like Blinkist because I can listen to a full book when I go out for a run. And like I said, I do use this app. And recently, I used Blinkist to read How to Love by Thich Nhat Hanh, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, incredible book, and The Sleep Solution by Chris Winter, MD. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for my audience. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash elevator to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com forward slash elevator to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com forward slash elevator. Bill, how are you? Good, Paul. How are you? Bill, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. It's great to be here with you. Let's get right into it. How long have you been sober? Paul, my last drink was actually the afternoon of Sunday, October 7th, 2018. Congratulations, so, Bill. Thank you. So today marks uh, my 89th day. 89th so I have not, day. I have not been sober for this long since I was a teenager. Well, embarrassed to say that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I'm also just, you know, so proud of it. Well, let's leave the shame and embarrassment aside moving forward because we have nothing to be embarrassed of, nothing to be ashamed of, and I'm excited to get to know more about your story, Bill, and I'm excited to share it with, with the audience. And so before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Sure, sure. Uh, so I am 49 years old. I live in northern New Jersey. I do investment research for, a, uh, for an insurance company been married for a little over 20 years now. Uh, my wife and I have two kids. We have a soon-to-be 16-year-old daughter, and uh, which is everything that you can expect from a 16-year-old girl, <laughs> and a, uh, a 13-year-old son who, you know, I'll talk about in a bit, bit more detail, you know, uh, going forward. But for fun, I love like a lot of outdoor stuff, uh, fishing, camping, hiking, all of which I hope to do more of now that my days just aren't consumed with drinking or the thought of drinking or planning my day around drinking. Bill, I live in Montana, the West. It's like the Mecca for the Rocky Mountains for camping and fishing. Mm -hmm. Is there some good stuff out there in the East Coast and in New Jersey? Uh, you know, we have a couple mountains out here, but certainly nothing compared to what you, uh, what you have there out West. And, you know, it's sort of a bucket list item for me to, you know, travel out to your neck of the woods and do some fly fishing, some overnight camping, and, you know, again, just do all of the exciting things, quite frankly, that, you know, that I haven't done because my life has just been consumed with so many other things. Yeah, the good news is with sobriety, there's so many more doors open, and it's all possibility. It's not just an idea in the mind. You know, there was ideas in the mind that I had when drinking that never happened in sobriety. They actually came to realization, which is which is so cool. And so, Bill, give listeners some background about your drinking. Perhaps describe when you started. Describe your drinking habits. Did you ever try to moderate? When did you first realize, uh-oh, <laughs> this might not be working out well for me? And try to give us references. You're 49 years old now. You got sober on October 8th, 2018. But with your timeline, try to give us ages and dates. Um, not so much dates, but ages so we, we know where you are. Okay, yeah, no, sure. Uh I mean, despite starting drinking at an early age, I mean, I, I have early recollections to like 13, 14 years old, and drinking all throughout college, into my 20s, I mean, Paul, I never considered myself, though, to be an alcoholic. I mean, the thought really never crossed my mind. My wife and I got married in 1998. We were married for about five years before my daughter was born. I mean, in that time, I finished grad school. We bought a house. I was fixing up the house. I mean, things were good. After my daughter was born in 2003, I mean, she progressed, you know, like a typical infant, a typical child. She hit all of her milestones. I mean, my wife and I were proud parents. Again, things were good. I was drinking throughout this time, 
but certainly, I mean, nothing, nothing significant. Again, the cross, the, the thought of being an alcoholic just, you know, didn't cross my mind. My son was born in 2005. Uh, my wife had a much more difficult pregnancy with him, though. Shortly after even he was born, he stopped breathing. He needed to be resuscitated. About three days after we, we got him home, he had developed a high fever. We had to rush him back to the hospital. God, I think we were there for another eight days. Wow. I, think that, I think that took a year or two off my life. We finally got him healthy, finally brought him home. And things, again, were getting back to normal. Again, at least as normal as it could be with sure. two small kids in the house. After a few months, though, Paul, my wife and I just, I mean, we realized that he was not meeting his milestones. You know, he just wasn't developing like my daughter was. He wasn't babbling. There was no real eye contact. He was very tactilely defensive. I mean, it was hard to get him to eat. You know, it was hard to hold him. We would talk to the pediatrician. We would express concerns to him. And we were simply told that, listen, he's a boy. He's developing differently than your daughter. Not to worry. He'll catch up. Don't worry about it. Okay, you know, fine. When my son was about 14 or 15 months old, it just so happened that my wife and I were watching this home improvement show. I mean, I'll never forget it. Till the day I die, I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday evening. We're sitting down on the couch. We finally get both kids down, and we're watching this home improvement show. And the show was about this family of five children. Well, four children were autistic. Mm. And seeing the traits of these children, my wife and I then knew exactly what my son, or really what my son's wow. problems were. Shortly, shortly after that, we took him to a pediatric neurologist who confirmed really our fears. It was that day that really was the day that I became an alcoholic. Hmm. And that was, you know, roughly, you know, 2006. So all the hopes and dreams that I had for my son, they had disappeared. I mean, the thought of him playing baseball, football, again, taking him out camping and fishing and all the things that I like to do, you know, they, they were all gone. Sure. Um, and Bill, let me ask you a quick question here. So you, before you mentioned... I never realized or never thought I was an alcoholic or consider yourself an alcoholic. On that date or in 2006, with the diagnosis of your son being autistic, did you also realize at the same time, like, oh, okay, now I might be an alcoholic? No, no, okay. not at all. Okay. That was the point at which the ramping up okay. of the drinking. The progression got really got started. Then the progression really got started. All it was 2006, end. you said, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so 2006, 2018, 12 more years before yeah. you quit drinking. Okay, yeah, right. fill, fill us in. Right. That was that was my coping mechanism, Paul, for, for the past 12 years was the alcohol. I mean, it allowed me to put my fear aside for a few hours each day. I thought it enabled me to make better decisions. Unfortunately, the drinking had progressed to the point where I would just plan my entire day around what to drink and, and when to drink it. The one thing that was interesting, I never drank at work, but yet at 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, I would be thinking about, though, how I can plan the rest of my day to either make meetings earlier in the day, to try and get home earlier. Again, just the whole planning process, I was very methodical almost about how I was going to drink. And <laughs> You said, I've never drank at word at work. And you said, yet, I, I thought you were going to say just yet. And maybe if you didn't quit drinking on October 8, 2018, the yet scale, right? Like I, oh, there's a yeah. whole lot of like, I never did this yet. Yes. So, oh, oh, absolutely. I've yeah. been extremely fortunate in, and here's something bizarre. I mean, I've been fortunate that I have not had a DUI or got into a serious car accident or hurt somebody yet to a certain extent. I hope that I did get the DUI because it would have, you know, brought things to the forefront much earlier. Yeah, at the yeah. unconscious level, sometimes yeah. we, we seek out these consequences because, yeah, when I got my DUI in 2014, I was like, thank goodness, it can't get any right. worse than right now. Spend the night in a jail cell in a suicide-proof vest sucks. 
welcome yeah. sobriety. I'd go out and drink for another six to eight weeks, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean there. And so, when did you, when did your conscious part of your brain get the message from the unconscious part of the brain that says, okay, this is not working. I need to evaluate my alcohol consumption. Yeah, things actually really sort of began to unravel for me in April of 2017. So, call it a little less than two years ago. I had sort of what I describe as a meltdown. It was, I remember it was early April. I was very upset, very drunk, and called up my one sister. I have two older sisters, and I had called up my one sister. Don't even, I don't even recall the conversation that I had, but I guess it was something to the point to which my one sister was so upset that she called my father. So shortly thereafter, my father staged this little mini intervention. Mm. And he kind of told me to get my SHIT together. He didn't really want to know what was going on. He just wanted assurances that I would talk to somebody and that I would get straightened out. So I agreed, you know, and, and that was the sort of that aha moment to where I knew, hey, you know, the gig is up here before things really get bad. Let me address this. So in the early, early part of April of 2017, I had actually uh, started counseling. I met with a counselor weekly. I was not drinking at the time. Uh, but I was certainly, and you described this in past uh, podcasts, as being this dry drunk. Mm-hmm. The counselor was the only one who knew that I had a drinking problem. Okay, so you were honest with this counselor. I was honest with the counselor, but with no one else, oh, including, okay. including myself. Oh, okay. So that's, that's the real differentiator between... You know, why were you, why are you successful for nearly 90 days now, but yet you were unsuccessful almost two years ago? And it was because I still wasn't honest with myself. So the counselor knew I had a drinking problem. I had told that, but told no one else. So in essence, I was this dry drunk. I was just white knuckling it, and that was it. So I saw the counselor for almost two, well, two months, April and May through May of 2017. But what had happened was because I had no real accountability network, you know, beside the counselor, here we are, Paul, we're going into the summertime. And I live in northern New Jersey. And what do people do? We go to the Jersey Shore. So it was the Friday I had taken off. It was the Friday of Memorial Day weekend the unofficial launch to summer. And I am thinking to myself, now mind you, I am now 50 days into sobriety. Here we are, we're May of 2017, and I'm 50 days into sobriety. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to get through the summer? Not just get through the day, Paul, just get through the summer without drinking. And here we are, we're driving down the shore, we've got the kids in the back, my wife, who doesn't know that I have a drinking problem, just in the course of conversation, my wife mentions to me as we're driving down the highway, hey, I brought two bottles of wine with me. Well, that was all I needed to hear, and that was it. We no sooner got down the shore. The car wasn't even unpacked. Those two bottles of wine were open, and less than an hour later, those two bottles of wine were gone. Mm-hmm. So the drinking started all over again. Now, I did put rules into place. I did think to myself, okay, I can moderate, you know, because of course you can, right? Uh, I had everything from I would only drink every other day, I would only drink on the weekends, I would only drink with friends or family, I wouldn't drink by myself. And, And that lasted for, I don't know, a week or two, and then it just always failed. Things got worse again in February of 2018, so a little less than a year ago, to the point to which I actually went to an AA meeting. But that was, that was just totally something that I didn't expect. I just wanted to go to the meeting. I just wanted to sit in the background. I just wanted to listen to other people. Really didn't want to be an active participant at all. Just wanted to observe. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I no sooner got there, and, and God bless this one guy, really nice, very, you know, older gentleman in his 60s, perhaps early 70s, and he saw me in the back, and he sat down, but he wanted to know my life story. <laughs> and then he's giving me his phone number, he wanted my phone number, and just something that I wasn't, you know, wasn't ready to do. Sure. So I was sitting there going, nope, nope, this isn't for Uh-oh. me. <laughs> Right. So, but instead of pursuing something else, what did I do? I just went back to drinking. Sure. Still sure. yet not wanting to accept, you know, sobriety. So then finally it was, you know, early October, uh, you know, then that I had enough, I mean, I had enough of the headaches. I had enough of the self-loathing. I had enough of the, the sleepless nights. It's really sort of the point that I finally surrendered. And it was almost out of embarrassment. Now, I've been embarrassed many times before, but this time was different. So it was the, uh, it was the Sunday. So this is the Sunday, October 7th of last year. Uh, we had taken the kids, along with family friends, taken the kids pumpkin picking. What I am big or what I was big into was what I refer to as pre-gaming. So I would sit there, and because I was drinking so much, I was at about two bottles of wine a day, anywhere from a bottle and a half to two bottles. That's somewhat embarrassing. So I would pregame. I would try and drink well ahead of time and then go out. But it just so happened that Sunday that I was doing a lot of yard work outside. We were taking the kids pumpkin picking with friends, and I just didn't get a chance to. So here we are at the pumpkin patch, and all I'm doing is just thinking about when am I going to drink, when am I going to drink. We finally get done, you know, uh, at the, uh, you know, picking pumpkins, and we return to our friend's house. And he's like, oh, do you want a glass of wine? Absolutely. Do I? Oh, absolutely. I don't want a glass. I want the bottle. Yeah, let's get rid of it. Of which I proceeded to polish off in about a half an hour, maybe mm. 45 minutes. I'll give the benefit of the doubt to myself and say it was 45 minutes. My wife had a glass and maybe, let's call it a half, and I had the rest of the bottle. So the husband looks at me after the bottle is gone, after a relatively short period of time. The husband looks at me, doesn't ask with somewhat be- bewilderment, doesn't ask if I want another glass of something, looks at me with bewilderment and goes, do you want another bottle? That's what I thought he was going to say. And I'm sitting there, now mind you now, because I drank so quickly, now I'm getting a roaring headache. You know, and then hearing him say, do you want another bottle? Bottle bringing your, your drinking to the conscious level in the room, energy has now shifted. Exactly. Wow. And, and then here I am now, I'm driving home that Sunday evening with a roaring headache, a buzz, and thinking to myself, I am done. And that Monday, I was at the gym. So this is now October 8th. I'm at the gym, and I get up on podcasts, and I just type in alcohol addiction, and then this podcast called Recovery Elevator pops up. And I'm listening to that, and I just felt instantly connected. And I don't know which episode I was listening to, quite honestly, but I just felt instantly connected to the person you were in, interviewing. You know, their story, the feelings that they had and shared were the same feelings that I had. And, and as I said before, we were, we were talking, you know, all of our stories are just so similar. And the encouragement and the empowerment that I felt listening to that first podcast, it was really like a weight was being lifted off my chest. Bill, those are some of the indicators that a person and you are ready to quit drinking is you said you, you, you listen to the podcast and you, they connected with you. And you said all the stories are the same because there's a time when I listen to podcasts, I heard stories, I went to AA meetings and I was like, man, I got nothing in common with these people. Fast forward down, down the progression, when I was ready to quit, I had something in common with people that looked nothing like me, were, were, weren't the same sex as me, were, weren't even close to my age. I'm like, yeah, you preach on, sister, you and me, we've, been, we've had the same life. When, you, yeah. when, you, when you've surrendered and you're ready to do it, it you just focus on the similarities and, and not the differences, and it feels good. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely does feel good. I mean, you mentioned in in various podcasts about you know the uh, you know the pink cloud, sort of this pink cloud of happiness, and I'm and I'm certainly in that right now. But God, it it, it does feel really good. Again, better night's sleep. You know, I also have, have been having, and, and not surprisingly, right, you know, drinking so much. I've had a lot of stomach and gastrointestinal problems. Well, now, you know, almost three months into being sober, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the problems have cleared up. Again, as I said, you know, I, I sleep better. I can do also, too, I can cope with things better than I did in the past. Sure, things and that will, get, con- yeah, that will continue to improve without alcohol. I- because that was my number one coping mechanism was alcohol. With, with right. the further away I got from it, it just gets better and better and easier the the further you go. And when was it October seventh when you finally got honest with yourself? Because that's a huge part getting sober. Yeah, yeah, that was that was just you know the the point of surrender was was driving home that Sunday evening, you know, and then just finally saying I've had enough, I'm done, and and again I was so fortunate that Monday then to find, you know, your podcast. And again, listening to the stories. And to this point, I've probably listened to about 150, 160 podcasts. And again, the stories are just so similar. And there's that connection of being part now of a larger group. You know, I'm, I'm not in this alone, you know. And the most important thing that I've done is now to build out the accountability network. I am now telling people. Now, I'm doing it very, very slowly. As a matter of fact, there's only like three people who know that I am an alcoholic. It was just only two weeks ago, again, somewhat embarrassing to say, but it was only two weeks ago that I told my wife that I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Because up until that point, she still had you know, a bottle of wine like in the refrigerator. And yeah. here, every time I'm opening up the refrigerator, I'm seeing this bottle and I'm just going, oh my God. But then you had one episode refer to it as burning the ships, telling people that you're struggling and that you need help. And that's this whole aspect of now burning the ships and part of the recovery. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm slowly telling people that this is what I'm going through and can you help me? And Bill, before I comment on you burning the ships, which is awesome, I want to mention just a couple minutes ago, you answered a question that I consistently get via email, in person, whatever means of communication is, is that's, do I have to hit a fiery rock bottom moment? A lot of people say, hey, I just haven't had the wreckage from drinking that some people had. And listeners, Bill is driving home from picking, I'm going to say pumpkins. You're going to say pumpkins. <laughs> and, uh, Bill, you're driving home from picking pumpkins, and you just said, I'm done. There, there was a conscious thought, an idea planted in your head that started in April of 2017 when you finally got honest with somebody, right? So you got to get honest with yourself. You, you, you finally got honest with somebody, and you eventually have to get honest with yourself, which that happened on October 7th, but it doesn't have to be this fiery rock bottom moment. It just has to be a moment of clarity and just say, I am done. So nice job. And the burning the ships, I 100% agree. I am a full advocate of burning the ships, but you need to do it at your leisure. You need to go slow with it. I think you can get too far outside your comfort zone with burning the ships. If you're day five of sobriety and you post on Facebook and send a text to everybody, that might be a little too much. But, I mean, I actually think that would be a great thing. But, uh, yeah, so who, who are the three people you have you, if, when you burn the ships with? Number one, yourself. Number two, yeah, 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 obviously myself. And uh, then the first person I told was actually my uh, my best friend. Okay, we we were we were actually. And now this is like you have one of the questions about, you know, sort of your proudest moment in sobriety. I told him uh, the night of our 30th high school reunion. Oh, so here I am. I mean, I'm only Paul. I'm only maybe like day 10 into sobriety. And I have my 30th high school reunion. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm almost like to the point where, you know something, because I know that it's going to be a drink fest. I'm not going to go. But yet my best friend, who we grew up, you know, and went to high school together, he's going to be there. So, and he's expecting me to be there. You know, so I'm like, I, I got to go. So here I am. We're at the reunion. And he notices that I am just drinking seltzer cranberry. He originally thought that it was vodka cranberry, 
but noticed that the glass was quite large. And I had, I had said to him, I said, listen, you know something, I have a drinking problem. And I finally decided to get help and stop drinking. The proudest moment that I've had right now in sobriety is that night. So the night started at about 7.30 Saturday night. I left at maybe like 10.30, quarter to 11 from the restaurant where it was at, and it was a full open bar. I had not had a single drink, but yet all of my high school friends were plastered. And here I am driving home, perfectly sober, and I felt so good about myself. So he was the first person who I told about my sobriety. Then the second person happened yeah, to be Real quick, though, let me guess. He's still your best friend? Yeah, he's still my best friend. Yeah, so. yeah we often and, think they will no longer be our best friends, but turns out your best friends like you for who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and he's he's been a rock, too. I mean, he's just sends me texts every once in a while, what's going on, hey, let's get together, you know, and then he'll even goof around when we are out, and he'll just be like, you know, hey, so what do you want? You want a, uh, you want a seltzer with cranberry, or do you want a Sprite, you know? So, I mean, he's, and he'll say it with a smile, and, and it's been, you know, great to have that as a foundation. The second person who I told, she actually confronted me on it, and that was my cousin. And uh, my cousin actually has a lot of OCD, obsessive compulsive. And so to a certain extent, she also has very much of an addictive personality. We're out to dinner, my wife, herself, me, and uh, her, her husband. And she confronts me, not in front of everybody, but just off to the side, noticing that I'm not drinking. And she had put together really a small set of data points and looks at me and goes, you're an alcoholic, aren't you? <laughs> what? And I, oh, and Paul, I was, my, my mouth hit the ground. Being speechless and not knowing what to say, I literally just go, yes, I am. And I've entered recovery. How did that feel to just cut through the BS and say, yes, I am? It, it, it felt, again, this is part of that liberating. It's empowering. You know, empowerment that you have and it felt great and again she's another one she texts me you know quite a bit what's going on how proud she is of me and that's and that's also something when somebody tells you how proud they are because like many people i mean i've had the self-loathing i've had the feelings of, of self-doubt doubting myself and now having somebody else just sit there and say wow you are doing such a great job keep it up. And again, it just makes you feel so good, makes you then go that, that extra day, that, that next step in this journey that we have. And then the third person, and even though it was just only a little over two weeks ago, the third person was my wife. And that was, that was the most difficult. Uh, my wife was surprised. I mean, she really was. Much of the drinking that I, that I had done was behind her back. Uh, she's a nurse. She, she works a lot on the weekends, which leaves me home with the kids and which leaves me to my own accord. And if it wasn't the weekends and if it was the weekdays, then a lot of times I'd be drinking in the dead of night, you know, when nobody was around and I could hide things. So she was, she was surprised. She was also mad because the one thing that she asked was that, did I ever drive you know, with the kids in the car when I shouldn't have. And I did answer her truthfully, and I said yes. And she was, she was, you know, she was very, very disappointed with that. You know, so that's certainly a, a low point, you know, for me. Things that I never thought I would do, you know, back 10, 12 years ago, oh, I'd never do that. How can somebody ever do that? And yet here I did, and, and did it with no recourse. Yeah, it's all the yet scale, and we are so good at hiding this stuff because I'm, I'm like, I'm not surprised. At first, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But then I'm like, no, I'm not surprised. It's your wife. You tell your wife, and, and she is surprised. And with, with people being surprised, I had one girlfriend who didn't drink, and she was the only person who said, Paul, I think you drink too much. And I, I, I had a raging drinking problem. And, 
and, and yeah, that's so cool. You've burned the ships and thanks for sharing those huge wins with 10 days of sobriety or high school reunion. I mean, those are, those are huge wins. Nice job. And, but let's, let's back it up to right around October 8th. How did you do it? How, what was the first week like? What did you put in place to make it to the first week? Two, three, four, and, and tomorrow you got 90 days. This is huge. You're, you're doing great, Bill. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could tell you in the first week that I was just taking one day at a time. But, Paul, I wasn't even that good. I, could, I couldn't take one day at a time. One day was too long. I actually had broken the days up into threes. I broke it into the morning, into the afternoon, and into the evening. In the first, I would say, sort of two, three weeks, all I wanted to do was just go to bed. Can I make it to bed? And can I, just, can I make it just through that first morning, okay? Can I make it then through the afternoon? Can I make it through the evening? The biggest differentiator, though, was, and I still, even to this day, I get the cravings, but the biggest differentiator is instead of trying to push the cravings aside like they never existed, I acknowledge them. I acknowledge that the craving is here, but what I do is I push it forward. So I think about, okay, I don't want a glass or two of wine or a glass or two of vodka. I want the bottle. I, in fact, I want two bottles. So what is that going to lead to? Well, that's going to now lead to the headaches. It's going to lead to the feeling of self-loathing. It's going to lead me then to initially have that euphoric feeling, and then I crash, and when I crash, then I get upset at the kids I get upset at myself or my wife, and just, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not a nice person to be around. So I think about all this and then simply say to myself, is, is it worth it? No, it's much easier just to stay sober, go and do an activity, go and do something else. Take the kids, if it is during the middle of the day, uh, take the kids, okay, come on, let's just get in the car, let's go someplace. You know, let's go to the mall, let's go to the movies, we'll find something to do. You know, so that's what I do differently now. And what I did then during, especially during those first one, two, three weeks of sobriety, I really just took everything in segments and to try and cope with each thing individually and not look too far ahead into the future. The thing is this, though, it's also today compared to call it three months ago. Three months ago, though, was the time of the greatest development that I had. Where I was seeing the most success in such a rapid period of time. Today, I mean, I'm still seeing success, but it's not as rapid as what it was. You know, so there is also something that it was, you know, very unique about those first few days of sobriety. Bill, I like the, the play the craving forward, play the tape forward. That's an extremely helpful strategy. And as my awareness built, as I led up into sobriety and my awareness continues to build, is that when I got a craving, and you know, I'll, I'll be lying to you if I said with over four years of sobriety that I didn't get cravings. They're, they're rare these days. But when I do get a craving, before I quit drinking, and a lot of times in early sobriety, I was like, oh, I'm craving alcohol. But that wasn't really the case. And when I recognized that it wasn't the alcohol that I was craving, that I wanted a different state of mind, I wanted to feel differently than I currently was, then I was able to say, okay, what is it? And I would, like you said, you got the craving, you don't run away from it. You're not hiding, hiding from it. And so I wouldn't run away from the craving to what I thought was alcohol. It was a craving to feel different. And so I'd kind of lean in to that emotion say, what is this? And you know, even sometimes I would go run, which is still kind of alternating my state of consciousness. And, um, but it, it's a much more healthier alternative than alcohol. Yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, for a lot of us, it's one day at a time. For others, it's, it's chunks of day at a time. For others, it's hours at a time. And, and I've been in that moment where the anxiety is so acute after binge drinking and after getting sober that it's one minute at a time. And I want to talk with you about your son. In an email that you sent to me, it said you've made a lot of progress with accepting your son for who he is. Talk to us more about that. Yeah, I mean, again, that's, you know, you, you mentioned in past podcasts, you know, alcohol is but a symptom, you know, you, you're not just drinking to drink, you're, you're drinking to mask something, 
you know, and again, it was, it was the, the feeling of, or the knowing that he wasn't going to be the, the baseball star, the football star, or, you know, the son that I, you know, had these thoughts of when he was first born. You know, now I just try and recognize the potential that he does have. That said, he's made great strides. I mean, my wife and I give him a lot of uh, private therapies. He gets a lot of therapies in school. I mean, he is mainstream, so he is with uh, typical, you know, typical 13-year-olds. He's in seventh grade now, so he's with typical seventh graders. But he does have an aide with him uh, who shadows him. So he's made a lot of strides, but he is very different in the sense that um, he does not take social cues real well. He gets frustrated very easily. But what I've now tried to do is, you know, accept those. And again, this is the, you know, not looking too far ahead into the future. I just try and live in the present and, you know, um, celebrate his small accomplishments that he does each day. If he's had a good day at school, hey, that's cause for celebration. Good job. Uh, you know, what can we do now, you know, tomorrow to continue that trend, you know, moving forward. When he does, though, do something that is, you know, inappropriate or something that is cause for concern, now I try not to get upset about it, whereas in the past I did. And that was like a cause then to drink. If he did something wrong, if he got in trouble in school for whatever reason, that was then yet another reason to go and, and drink. Now if he does do something wrong, I, you know, I try and sit down with him, understand what happened, the situation that he was in, and now express to him, hey, what can you do differently moving forward so this doesn't happen again? So I just try not to overreact to things as well. The biggest gift that sobriety has given to me, and I know it's contemporaneous with a lot of people, is presence. And being yeah. present in those situations cuts through a lot of stuff. It, it just yeah. gets to the core. And, and so I'm so happy to hear that. And Bill, I have I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. It is now time for the rapid fire round. Please answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds. Are you ready? I am ready, Paul. All right, Bill. Worst memory from drinking. What you got? Uh, worst memory of drinking. I think my daughter was about 12 years old at the time. Again, she's almost 16 now. She was 12 years old at the time. And it was, it was a Sunday night. All she wanted to do was watch the first Star Wars movie. So I guess that was like episode four. She wanted to watch the first Star Wars movie with me. And that's all she talked about all the Sunday was watching Star Wars with Daddy. <laughs> And I, and I agreed, but what I also did that day was I probably had about eight, nine vodka cranberries, and I proceeded to get violently ill. So here I am. I'm trying to watch Star Wars with her. I get through maybe about the first five or ten minutes of the movie and proceed to throw up. And she's looking at me going, oh, God. And then my wife looks at me and goes, you're drunk. Yeah, that was probably one of my worst memories or poor judgment calls. And did you have a, in particular, oh, shit moment indicating the gig was up? Uh, it would probably be that, that sort of mini breakdown that I was referring to back in October 17. You know, I mean, the, the point that, you know, my father had to get involved and then, you know, he was just simply like, you've got to go and see somebody. That was, that was probably the first, you know, aha moment that, hey, you know, I, I really do have a problem. I got I to gotta start getting my, you know, my, my ducks in a row here. How are you going to finish day 89, get day 90, and what's your plan moving forward? Uh, you know, I mean, the plan moving forward is just, you know, reminding myself that I need to make progress each week. I can't be complacent, you know. I can't say to myself that, hey, I got this, and that I don't need therapy or I don't need to talk to people, you know, or that I can moderate because I know that I can't. So, again, the plan moving forward is, again, just to continue to make progress each and every day. What's your favorite resource in recovery, Bill? Uh, I mean, today, Paul, it's, it's got to be your uh, Recovery Elevator podcast. Again, the stories of the folks that you interview, 
I mean, they are inspirational. Uh, I mean, they really do help me get, you know, have helped me get to this point where I am at today. Bill, you are inspirational, and thank you so much for listening. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, Paul, burn the ships. You know, again, it's a saying from one of your podcasts, referring to building that accountability network. It's letting people know, you know, that you are struggling, but that you do want help. I mean, it's the difference between being that dry drunk and the one who really does want a better life. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Alcohol is but a symptom. I mean, find out why you're drinking the way you drink. And if you are struggling, reach out. I mean, tell somebody. Seek a therapist who specializes in alcohol and addiction. I think most importantly, though, above all else, is that you have to believe that you will get better. And, Bill, before we depart, give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic if line. Uh, you might be an alcoholic if your 14-year-old daughter says to you at 1045 in the morning, hey, Dad, aren't you hitting the bottle a little too early? <laughs> and you simply and you simply ignore her and walk away with the glass of wine in your hand. Hey, Dad, we don't want another Star Wars day, do we? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Great job. Paul, thank you very much. As I mentioned earlier, I'm writing a book. And I'm going to crowdsource this book. I've read a ton of recovery books, and I know you guys have too. What is something that you would like me to address in the book? This can be a question, a theme, or a topic. Something that you haven't quite seen encountered in a recovery book. This book is going to be probably a third memoir, two-thirds how-to. I'm really only including my story to give readers an example of where these themes and, and topics took place in my recovery journey. After doing almost 215 interviews, most stories aren't that different. In fact, they're strikingly similar. So I'm taking input themes and ideas for this book. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. Uh-huh.